Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the J10 Initiative. Father Nathan. Do you, bo- do you watch boxing? Are you for boxing? No. no. How about I... them Broncos? Huh. Oh, gosh. 2-0, baby. Yeah, they're coming. They're coming. We'll see. They're they're playing the Jets this week. I'll be I'll be at the game. Are you going? Yep. Well, that's supposed to be a blowout. We'll hope. We see, I mean, they say that. I mean, that, that poor quarterback threw more more interceptions than he did completions. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it was bad. Well, so. first home game. That's going to be fun, man. Yep. This is Catholic Stuff. We're back for round two. We, um, we're we doing a doble on a Friday night um, and uh, had some uh, street tacos and pretty, some horchata. Good. No? I am a big fan of the horchata. Yeah. There used to be uh, a place in uh, Champaign called Real Hacienda, and that was my first taste of horchata. And I was like, this is... Very dangerous. Do you know the process? Is it soak rice or is it blend it and then strain it? I thought I thought the process for horchata. We're gonna get somebody uh, sending us, you know, the recipe for horchata after this. Um, but uh, I thought you boiled rice, okay, and then the the w- water. Is that right? Because. Um, if you boiled rice, it would just soak up the water. So then somehow you have you have the leftover water after you boil rice. Maybe you put the rice in like a strainer and then boil just it. Just the water? Okay. Yeah, it's it's right it's cinnamon rice I water. It, somehow you gotta crush up the rice or something. It is cinnamon rice water. And it no is clue. delicious. They must yeah. add a lot of sugar. It, too. That is that is that to me is like uh, you know cinnamon toast crunch milk, mm-hmm. which I had the yeah. other day. Uh, somebody makes that and it is horrid. What just cinnamon toast? Crunch yeah, it's milk? like it's called cinnamon toast crunch milk, and it was it was very really? bad. I can't imagine that being bad. I love cinnamon toast yeah, crunch. It was bad. That's the kind of stuff you can't eat that all the time, but it is delish. And I'm not a sweets guy. The um so my my nieces are really big into uh, Lucky Charms. Okay, I used to be a big Lucky Charms guy until I made the switch in realizing that Lucky Charms cereal, not the marshmallows, but the cereal, looks abnormally and tastes abnormally like cat food. <laughs> it looks like it, it looks like cat cat food pieces. And then oh. when it gets all soggy, it's so nasty. I don't like yet. It kind of expands. I'm not a big Lucky Charms guy. I kind of like the flavor of the marshmallows, but they have this like uh, kind of styrofoamy texture. Oh that yeah, squeaks. I like that though. Oh no, no thanks. The uh, so during COVID, we stocked up on a number of items, and one of the items that we oh st- you're the people taking all my Gatorade and toilet paper could be. Could be. Uh, this was more muesli. Um, I I stocked up on muesli, and then um, Father John. Father John uh, was a big fan of the muesli. I was a big fan of the muesli, so we were we were going we were sawing through these boxes pretty regularly. And then COVID ended, and uh, I still had all these boxes. So I've been going at a fairly routine clip. 
but not really like, you know, getting after it like I used to. And then the other day I looked at the expiration date and for the first time in my life, I was eating expired cereal. <laughs> I was wondering, how does it expire? How long ago does it last? Well, I mean, like, you think about it, it's like it's got the best buy date, you know, and it's usually about a year or a year and a half. That's what I, yeah, that's a long time. It was, yeah. I was like, ooh. It was already, ooh, muesli. So if somebody, if, somebody was, if somebody was thinking to themselves, who took all the boxes of muesli at, you know, the King Supers? It was me. I don't think muesli is one that I'm just jones and four you mean those like puffed wheats and uh dates aren't there like yeah dates in there oh yeah it's I good it's, it's good it's good roughage it's interesting maybe for the roughage it's good roughage but i don't i mean grape nuts gross oh yeah i do sprinkle some of that fiber one in my um honey bunches of oats Ugh. Yeah, you mean the, we're getting old. Man. You mean like the Ruffage. the stick, like the stick kind of yeah, talk fiber about one? cat food. Wow, oh man, you're in you're in some danger. I did for a time uh, in seminary. Um, uh, Father Chris Lebsock got a number of guys into Metamucil. Oh, oh. are you? That's are, old. Have, man have you stuff. have you done the Metamucil? I have not. Um, is it a shake, or you put it in your milk or something? It is uh, some sort of seed that you mix in water, um, and then you have to drink it very quickly. No, it was Father Sean Mulligan. Because it's gross? Father Sean Mulligan. No, uh, it will begin to uh, coagulate. So it will go from like a liquid to kind of a slimy uh, (laughs) liquid, and eventually to like a fairly legit solid like a jello. Um, But that's what it's doing on the inside of you. Yep. The reason why you use it is because it's excellent. It's excellent fiber. Yep. Um, and um, it, you know, aids that process. But the the problem that I found is I was always dehydrated. It was like sucking all of the the whatever, absorbing all of the water out of my body. Wow. So I was like, no, I'm not doing this. That's what did you call that one? Metamucil. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, yeah. It's too. That's medicine-y, isn't it? I mean, that's like yeah, over the counter. It's I a diet. It's a dietary from, dietary supplement. I think. Yeah. I think it's so, not a medicine. It's a dietary supplement. Yeah. It's well, not a cookie. It's intense. a fruited you cake. You think he's still on that, Sean Mulligan, up there in I guarantee the hinterlands? it. I I guarantee it. He was really into that. Mulligan, Father Sean Mulligan is um, a classic leprechaun. Uh, and he just enjoys certain things of life. Um, and I would guess that Metamucil is just one of those things that he just enjoys and he's just going to do it. So, yep. You get, you get attached. What about this? Did you play? <laughs> this is the non I like, I like this did transition. You, <laughs> did you, um, play fo- like forts with blankets and couches? Yes. Back in the day with the lava, with the lava. Yeah. Uh huh. You could do lava. Do you? Um, did you move? You move the couches. Mm-hmm. You stick. You you kind of drape the blankets over there. Yep. Yep. And then you would jump in between the the couch cushions in order to get to the fort. And then how do you weigh down the blankets? Sometimes you tuck them in the couches or something. Right. I mean, you you would have to. We had a we had a um we had a sofa sleeper. We had a sofa sleeper, which honestly. To this day, I have uh, flashbacks of walking through the living room and jamming my toe 
on stubbing my toe on that uh, on the leg of the sofa sofa sleeper, uh, which was this like jagged wrought iron. Oh yeah, and um, I hit it right in between my big toe and my my second oh, in the toe web? in the web uh, yeah and cut it uh, and i remember like everybody was sleeping and then all of a sudden i hit that and like it was like a whimper because i just went down for the count oh, no. so we would tuck it into the slow sofa sleeper yeah so you would, to you would hide ki- that jagged edge you would no you would kind of like if you drape the blankets you could just tuck it into the oh, sofa yeah. sleeper just get that pressure um yeah you could you could hide out in there it was almost like a cave were you a beanbag family? No, we weren't big. We weren't beanbag. No, families. no. Jesse Shuckman down the road. Right. He had the big beanbag thing. Yep. Yep. Yeah, but that was enough. Trevor. Yep. Trevor Brothers. He had. The, he had the beanbag. He was an only child. Of course, he had beanbags. <laughs> yeah, I guess I didn't think of it that way. But um, yeah, so fun in fun in the tents, and um, I'm it's, the, the the feast of Sukkot has me thinking about that. Right. Oh, now, here we go. Right now, you're in Sukkot. Yes. This is uh, the harvest feast, week-long Jewish feast that um, during the harvest time, it's a time when you build your outdoor sukkah, yep. and it's kind of like a fort. And uh, You live out there, right? You live out there. You eat out there. You can just hang sometimes. And the goal is ultimately to actually invite others to uh, hospitality in your sukkot. Yep. In the sukkah, you have... Uh, sukkah? Sukkah. Sukkah. The feast is the sukkot. Okay. And the sukkah is the um So the feast, feast of booths. Booths, yeah. Are so, we going to talk about where that comes from? Sure. Where does it come from? Uh, was it from the uh, Israelites that had to set up tents and go on the move during on their journey to the promised land? Yep. That's exactly but what's, it. Why, why is it related to the harvest, though? Oh... Uh, well, that part I don't know. I just know that there's, you know, you got Passover in spring and then you got Sukkot in, in the um, fall. And that comes around the uh, Jewish New Year, which had just happened, Rosh Hashanah. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know why they're connected with the, the harvest. I mean, it's there was a lot of festivals in the ancient world that surrounded uh, planting and harvesting. And, of course, you want to mark those because they're, you know the lifeblood very mm-hmm. important times mm-hmm. um maybe maybe because maybe. in some um there's something about the desert wandering and this tradition of uh the sukkah that recognizes the providence of god you know in yeah. the desert they relied on god's help mm-hmm. and god provided them with uh, quail from heaven and bread from heaven and so maybe at a time when you're celebrating the you know the the harvest being successful this year, yeah, then you're going to say thank you to God for the providence of you fed us for another year. These kinds of things. Does it have anything to do with Abraham entertaining the angels? Quick, three measures of fine flour, knead it, make loaves, and then he runs out. I wonder. I wonder. Okay. I don't know. I don't know enough about the Haggadah and like the. Um, the stories that are told during this season and mm. all that stuff. I've, I mean, I, I didn't do a lot of research on this. I just happened to remember that this is the time. Got it. And um, this interesting tradition. There are like four things that you bring into the sukkah. And one of them is a citron. 
One of them is a palm, I think. One of them is something like a coconut. Um, citrone? Yeah, citrone is like a big l- Tequila. lemon. Oh. Yeah, like a big lemon. Yes. Citrone, patron. Right. So uh, what is the name of that movie I know. with the citrone? I know. I was trying to remember the movie with the citrone. It's really, really good. Yeah. Um, yeah, go find it. Burgavitsa. No. No. I don't remember. Sorry. Google it, find it, it's and watch it with your family. It's a very family friendly yeah, movie. It's a it's a movie regarding uh the Feast of Booths and uh this family desiring children um and showing hospitality. It's really beautiful. Yeah, hospitality. You can learn about the, the feast that way. All right, so it's got me thinking on just the, the providence of God, kind of finding like establishing a different place in your world in order to get away and be um, simpler, you know, get away from the world with all of its cares and just return to things like hospitality, return to things like being joyful in the presence of God. And there's two kind of values that they're, they're meditating on regularly. One is just the joy of the, of life, the joy, simple joys of um, community, family, um, providence of God, like, just the things that you've been given, you sh- you think on things and show gratitude during that time, and also the fragility of life. Um, one of the rules of the sukha is that you can have some light covering that can cover the sun for shade, but it can't be strong enough to cover um, the rain. So hmm. you're left to the elements, and wow. you might live in there and get rained on or whatever. Yeah, but it's a reminder of the fragility of life. Cool. We're all, you know, no rain flies, no rain flies in the sukkah. Um, That's cool because I've seen that they have they have sheets. They they usually put like you know bed sheets or whatever or tablecloths. Yeah, something you know over it. But like it's not a, it's not a tarp. Yep. Like now that I think about it, whenever I've seen them. Yep. Mark Gieschek, a doctor, Mark Gieschek, a famous biblical scholar in the Denver area, uh, married to Colleen formerly McCaskey, mm-hmm. my um, focus teammate, um, he he made a sukkah uh, during the Feast of Booths, and he did it, like, traditionally. Um, and that was exactly what he did. He had sheets over it. And I was like, man. Really? That's, did that's they gonna, live in there? That's going to get rained on. Um, I think maybe. Maybe for a couple days. Yeah. Uh, is it a long time? Like a week? It's a week. But oh. I don't know that everybody lives in it. I don't I think you you can opt in, but if it's really uncomfortable, you don't have to do it, these kinds of things. Hmm. But certainly you have a meal in there, and show hospitality, invite people in and everything. So cool tradition. And it, um, it made me think of two things. One is the, the forts and about being childlike in front of God. How do you return to being childlike? How, do you can, how can hmm. you do that very like um, tangibly? The way, I mean, the Jews with their festivals, everything's real, uh, real. You got to build something different so that life becomes different. It's not just something you think about, not something you talk about, but it actually changes the way you live. It's dramatized. And it's dramatized. It's localized. So Incarnate. One, I like that. Yeah. The one th- one thing I remember is like something like Pustinia. You know, Pustinia is this tradition of having a little booth and you go there to pray and you get you kind of get away from life and go there to pray, but it's uh, a real simple thing. It's not like you have a cabin, a second home cabin or something. 
Um, other alternatives I've seen, you know, you like people have a statue of Our Lady in their garden. Right. And you can go and just stand there, pray. It's kind of like grounded. It's simple. Yeah. It's kind of a place to breathe because you're outside and you're in a beautiful garden kind of setting with the flowers and such. And um, or something like with the Hispanic families, they, they always have like a little shrine in their house. You know, you got one corner. Yep. That has the santitos and the candles and the little statue or rosaries dangling from it or whatever. And it's almost like you, it's just a corner. It's like a nook. You go away and you pray in that place and you're transported into this whole different, you know, realm, you know, sacred space. You know, it's, it's, it's changing the whole attitude the whole spirit of your um, demeanor and um, yeah it's so uh, visceral just so real and I think it's a, it's a beautiful uh, simplifying kind of encouragement toward that attitude of both the joys and gratitudes of what God has provided and that trust in God and recognizing our limits and um, and in some way I think being childlike again that's why this the Sukkot with the Booth makes me think of the the childhood practice of uh, making the making the forts, playing with friends. You feel connected to the people that you're you're hanging with and you're building with, and um, it's just very simple. Okay, so that's the, that's the one piece. Do we do that in the Catholic faith? I mean, like, do we have those moments like that where we dramatize, localize those events? Well, our whole liturgy is that in. In part, mm-hmm. it's dramatized, yeah. reconnecting with the story of Jesus, with the reality of Jesus, with getting out of the world and going into a sacred place. And um, it's it, it's hard to think of it like that because we don't necessarily do that the specific things. But. I think the processions, I think mm-hmm. the processions, the crownings, you know, the crowning of Our Lady, yeah, um, St. Joseph's Table, um, you know, we mentioned it before, there's a great book. Uh, called the what is it the the bad catholic's guide to good living great excellent like day-to-day sort of like um suggestions for how to live your faith on different feast days and everything but like some people just never they just see it as going to mass and that's it you know but like it's helpful when it's when it actually has a concrete thing when we actually give people palms and we say hey we're gonna wave these and we're gonna walk into the church just like the people in Jerusalem crying Hosanna. It's just like, yeah. I think that's really important. Or May for crowning. Put this on, you know. Mm-hmm. You just mix it up and yeah, yeah make it Nativity concrete. scenes, I think they get that. You yeah. know, people like that. So, anyhow. Stations sorry. of the Cross, like a walking yeah. station. Yeah. Outside a church. A lot of churches have outside right. stations. And a lot of times they do like, I mean, we do it in ours uh, with our kids. Like, they do a, a dramatized version of it. They love it. The kids love doing the live stations of the cross. Oh yeah. Where they're like, you know, pretending that they're the soldiers or whatever. They yeah, get all absolutely. Into yeah. And there's, these are the kinds of things. I mean, the kingdom of, of God is for the children, right? Hmm. And there is something of, we get too adult for everything and you, it, you know, make a fort, make a tree house and go live in it is like, okay, be a kid again. You know, be a child. Yeah. There's something dependent. Use your imagination. Simple. Yeah. Yeah. There's something of like, okay, my my life isn't always connecting me to God, and 
but I could be, you know. Um, so this is roundabout, but it, I'm thinking on uh, child childlikeness and being in the presence of God, having fun um, as a Catholic, and then what moves children. And my God, my goddaughter is getting her first communion, um, not tomorrow, but the next Saturday, in out in uh, Craig. And oh, okay, none of your siblings. Not my, not my yeah. siblings, but my goddaughter Allie Jo, and um, I'm super stoked for her. But it's got me reflecting on like, well, what is the deal with this age of reason thing? Hmm. Why do kids get first communion at whatever it is, eight, nine, ten, seven, eight, nine, ten? Yeah, age of reason. Like, what is this age of reason? We have this concept of the age of reason, and somehow. In the church that says, maybe I've heard it a couple ways, but you can kind of add to this and I'm brainstorming here. But um, one, you can say somehow for the first time, amen, I believe that this is Jesus, um, that, that the bread has really turned into the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus. And the, and the wine has turned into the blood of Christ. Uh, you can say, I understand that enough, maybe. Um, or at least I, when I say yes, I say it for myself rather than someone told me and then, okay, whatever. I can say that. I can parrot that word. Um, so on the one hand, it's like the ability, you've reached an age when you have the ability to recognize something special about the, the Eucharist. And then on the other, it's you've reached an age where you've become conscious of your own um, responsibility and culpability. So you can make moral decisions and you need in some way the grace of God to be able to help you navigate the world of the moral life so I mean in a very like base way to say it is you're capable of committing uh, serious sin Mm -hmm. and um, and then you're in need of in need of God's grace but you're also in a state where you can receive God's grace in this particular way so I kind of those are the kind of classics, right? That you can assent to what's happening and say, yes. "Amen, I believe it," and then also you're you're capable of, and in need of the grace because you're capable of uh, serious sin. Making, is that right? Yeah, making moral decisions. Yeah. So the age of reason is you can reason what's good and what's bad, mm-hmm. and uh, and know what's, that what's you can choose the good, and you can not choose evil. So is that right? I mean, I'm I'm just kind of like curious about this time because I'll hear first confessions. Well, and so I was talking to my friend at the cathedral and I was asking him, well, when are you ready to say, I believe this is Jesus? Uh And he says, I don't know. Like when is your frontal cortex completely like developed? Maybe 25. You're ready to. Wow. Or, you know, like that, it just poses the problem of like, am I even like, do I know what I'm saying when I say amen? Mm-hmm. Even at 38, being so close to all this mystery, mm-hmm. what does it take? Like, what is that? It's obviously the church says it's something simple and it's something of just there's something supernatural here or um, what God is doing. Is that self-explanatory when you say this bread is becoming Jesus? And then I say, amen, I believe it, you know. Um, so there's something Something curious about there's there's something waking up at that moment, and 
I'm, I'm fascinated by that. So I asked the, the moms after mass today, I said, hey, I need some moms to come up here and tell me um, when your kids went through first communion, what had, what, what had changed? What was, what was changing about them that the church is recognizing they're ready for confession, they're ready for communion? Okay. And they gave those couple of answers, but they also gave some other answers that I found intriguing. One was um, that they've become aware of evil in the world, they, and they suffer it differently than they did before. Before you stub your toe, it hurts. Um, before you uh, are feel tired, so you just um, start crying or whatever. Um, sometimes you can get scared. You know, someone yells at you and you get scared or you see a, a dog that's out of control or something. But there's something different about when you wake up to this consciousness of people hurt each other and people mean malice and I can be hurt by life and, um, and by people. And they said, well, this is a good time for God to encourage us and to help us with his grace to be able to face the difficulties of life. And uh, while we're waking up at that time to the difficulties of life, I found that interesting and kind of new for me. And then another insight that the parents had was that they said, this is an age where you are starting to think for yourself, but you still trust. You still trust Hmm. your parents and you still trust when someone says God loves you, you're not throwing up reasons why that's not true. Sure, You just believe that. Yeah. And it's not... It's not like belief is naivete or it should be seen as like overly simplistic. Like you haven't really figured things out. It's like there's something that they have figured out that we lose, you know, Mm -hmm. like like that trust. Because there's nothing more real than God loves you and saying, oh, yeah, it's true. Thank you. You're like just happy about that, believing that, you know. But then life comes at us and... You know, there's a lot of other things that come in that make us doubt that and make us frustrated with ourselves and with other people. And so I, there's something of a waking up that it's just fascinating mm-hmm. for like, this is the time when we give the Eucharist. I would also say that um, they are open to that reality of um, God does love me, but they are becoming more susceptible to the to the possibility that I've done wrong and therefore God does not love me. Yep. So I think part of the reason why we, why we simultaneously administer um, sacrament of penance with the sacrament of the Eucharist is because kids in a unique way will hold on to uh, their, the image that they believe others have of them. So it's one of the reasons why they say, it's dangerous to call your kid a liar. Mm. Like you can say that they have lied, but it's different to say you are a liar because they will see that as their identity. Mm. And part of the reason why it's important for them to go to confession is to liberate them from the false belief that they are they are the sum total of their sins mm. or their nonsense. I've done good, therefore I'm good I'm a good boy. I've done bad, therefore I'm a bad boy. Mm. I am a good boy who has chosen to do a bad action and need mercy 
to actually uh, make me once again um, one who believes wholeheartedly that I that I do desire to do good. Yeah, they say guilt is knowing that you've done something wrong. Shame is believing that you are something. You are wrong. something wrong. Yeah, you know? and I would I I would say a lot of my first confessions are are going into just that like what is your identity you know and i uh, we we did first confession practicum at the seminary i don't remember a lot of it i would love to get a refresher on that because i would say that if you can give if you can give confession to a seven or eight year old well you can give confession to a 40 or 60 year old well wow but if you can't give a seven-year-old confession well, I it may not it may not it can, but it may not happen that you can give confession to a to a whatever because you can't just say to a kid, it doesn't matter, don't worry about it, no big deal. To them, it's a really big deal. Yeah, like I didn't. I told my mom. I told my mom that I fed the cat, but I didn't feed the cat. But later I fed the cat. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you you really sense in them the the sorrow that I didn't tell the truth and I didn't do the action, but I wanted to, you know? Yeah. And so, like, it's important to actually help them to see, like, good, like, you want to do good. Let's let's begin. Let's begin again. Yeah. And God will help you and forgiveness. Yeah. It's a really... uh, there's hearing those confessions i see a great deal of difference between the kids there are some kids who aren't haven't gone through whatever that flip that switch to really can feeling the remorse or taking responsibility for their their action just like knowing that they chose something that was wrong i you know i fought with my sister whatever yeah. and it's not like there's some kids who bring in a list cuz their parent helped them and then there's other kids who just say, here's what I did. Right. And you can tell that's it's not like, okay, we're going to discriminate before they receive First Communion, but something is happening there. Yeah. And that's what the church is noticing. It's like, okay. And I like with your point about, though, that Jesus wants to guard the children from their the, that self-distrust um, and that mm-hmm. self-hatred. Mm-hmm. That is unfortunately a reality of the fall. Yeah. So once we come become awake that I can hurt people and mm-hmm. I can do bad things and I can be deceptive and I can be destructive, yeah. then it's very dangerous and very easy to quickly become I'm a problem and feel guilty and shamed. And, and I'm unlovable. And I'm unlovable. Yeah. And the and the church in her goodness and her wisdom and Jesus in his her motherhood love, yeah just says I'm uh, this is a time I'm going to step in and protect you and give you grace yeah. you know one thing that I've found is um if the children come in with a with a sheet that is sort of prepackaged um they'll finish and then I'll just say um is there anything else you want to ask Jesus that you're sorry for and a lot of times like they they have a few other things may not be things that they wanted to tell their mom or their dad um, or like things that they've been carrying around that it's just like, good. Like, I'm glad, I'm glad that you came here to just rid yourself of that, you know? So I, 
I got really nervous before I did, uh, like before my first confession, I went in and I told my priest I'd never committed any sins. Yeah. I flat out lied. I don't remember mine. Because I was terrified that he was going to tell my parents. Oh. I, I was just convinced you're going to tell my parents and I'm going to get in even more trouble, you know? But like when I was a priest, when I was a newly ordained priest and then we had did first confessions, I was like, what am I supposed to tell these kids? I yeah. have no idea, yeah, you yeah. know? And then, like, at some point, you really start looking forward to it. Granted, like, I heard first confessions with uh, Ken Leone, Monsignor Leone, and every kid is walking out of there beaming, <laughs> waving a $10 bill oh, and a cheater. holy card, and a holy card. And then it was the other one who came down was Jim Thermos, Father Jim Thermos. Oh, yeah. And every kid is coming out of there smiling and holding a uh, a holy card of like you know the Our Father or something. Nice. And I got nothing. Well, that's an nothing. easy that's an easy fix. Just get some holy cards. It's true, but I I do I love those confessions, and you know the kids are so proud. A lot of times they're just proud to get through their act of contrition that they memorized. Yep. And uh, it's a chance to say, okay, I can see how much you love your family, and that's beautiful, and yeah. God loves that, and you're doing great, you know, you're just you're living your holy life, keep going. And I always try to get them to um, practice forgiveness, ask forgiveness a lot, and uh, give forgiveness. That'll make you a saint. That's the that's the secret. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm just been kind of musing on this stuff because I just think it's a beautiful moment in life, and maybe. My, the hope with the Sukkot is that there are invitations for us to get back there, at least for moments and in little ways to kind of chip away at our cynicism and my hard heart that grows, you know, tired of myself and tired of yeah. the same old graces and just get out of place. And if you have to, just go make your make your nook, change something, yeah. you know, nothing changes if nothing changes. So go and, you know, make a little booth, make a little shrine, make a little corner of your house. Yeah. And um, and then when you're there, remember your the simplicity, your limits and you, the things you're grateful for. And then just that God is providing. Yeah. That's basically what the Sukkot is. The child, yeah, the childlike dependence and the childlike freedom that comes with believing that you can be forgiven. Like when kids say they're sorry, like, and they actually, they actually do mean it. I mean, it melts your heart immediately. Like when I see when I see like kids after mass, um, sometimes you know they get a little rowdy, and then you know I've had it where the dad comes with the child and says, "You have to apologize to Father Nathan because you were rowdy," and then they'll say they're sorry, and like I'll get on their level and be like, "I forgive you. Thanks for saying you're sorry. Um, you know, I love you," and then like immediately they're like. I'm good now. It's yeah. over. Yeah. You know, and I, I mean, they're not thinking how stupid that was. And like, I can't believe that I had to go apologize to the priest. It's like, it's over, you know? Yeah. So I like that. Well, there it is. All right. Shout out to Allie Joe. Love you, girl. Congratulations. What uh, family is that? It's uh, Kings. You know, Diane. Oh, yeah. So that's her niece. Wow. Ashley and Ashley's baby. Yeah. Yes. She's got yeah. She's got three kids and wow. Proud of you, Ash. Thanks for taking her to the classes and getting her to That's the first great. communion. How I mean, how's Carlin doing? I don't know. I haven't seen him forever, I wanna, man. Yeah, that kid. Gosh, 
What a riot. Yeah, Casey's a father. He's got uh yep. he's got two. Nicholas is out there doing great. Um I don't know what Cameron's doing. Caden, I don't I need to check Kaden, in with that family, you yeah. know. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I want to give one shout out. Um, uh, a kid that I've known. I couldn't believe it. I was, uh, was in Chicago the other day uh, with my friend uh, Janine uh, Fletcher Thomas. Um, and uh, she said she has three kids. And uh, she introduced me to one of her sons. And she said, this is mommy's friend, Nathan, who she has known since kindergarten and only one year longer than Jeffrey. Oh, and I'm wow. like, that's crazy. Her brother. Wow. So like they know Uncle Jeffrey and uh like they're like, oh yeah, like you've known him just as long as you've known, you know, your brother. And I was like, wow, that's wild. So I used to I, I used to babysit, quote unquote, babysit uh Jeff Fletcher. Um and uh he's a grown man now. And like he's living his life, he's got his kids um he's got a job uh he works at uh georgia swarm are you a big lacrosse fan uh, i like lacrosse i'm not a big fan i wouldn't say but would you say you like lacroix lacroix well i mean that's uh, lacroix are you talking about the bubbly food yeah but it's talking like, it's about a, it's the, the game sport? yeah it's the game Anyways, I, I'm confused. So, like now. the Colorado, I like both. How isn't it the that? same? Like isn't both. it the same? Isn't it the same word? Doesn't it come from the same? Like you know, whatever. I suppose. I think it's like. I the, don't think so. I think the bubbly is the cross. You know, the cross of Christ. Yeah, but isn't cross. that isn't that what cross is? And la cross. La cross. Anyways, I thought it was like a Native American origin. I thought it was the yeah. game is, but. I don't know. Anyway, well, go and find out. Checkers, go and find out. We've got the Colorado Mammoth here in town. They've won national championships before. I don't know uh, how big of a following they have in the Denver area, but if you're interested in going to the uh, Georgia Swarm, which is the Atlanta version of uh, lacrosse, the uh, person who's in charge of ticket sales is Jeff Fletcher. All right, that's awesome. So, anyways. Um, Father Chris Considine was a big uh, lacrosse player back in the day. So he, as a freshman, didn't he play, Johnny play? He played on varsity. Peter Sursich definitely played. He was good. What? Yeah, and he's Sursich. Yeah, Sursich is lacrosse. No way. Yeah, ask him about. It. I don't think he played goalie. Maybe he was defense. But if he was defense, he's already Goliath. And then yeah, they have like, those huge he's like six four. Yeah, he was lacrosse. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. So shout out to uh, Jeff Fletcher. God bless him. All right, that's it. No? You got more? No, that's all I got. I was just looking at the rest of them. Thanks. God bless you, everybody. Um, Blessings to all of the kids who are getting their first communion and their first confession. Mm. Out in Poland, I remember they did the first confessions uh, somewhere near Easter, just before. And then on Divine Mercy, they would all take pilgrimage. All of the different kids from all over. Wow. So at the Divine Mercy Shrine, there were like tens of thousands of kids, and they still wear their yes. like, white dresses and right. the, um, like suit you know, yeah. for the boys. And it's absolutely amazing. But I, there's just like a, you know, a real joy in that season for everybody. Even my brother-in-law, shout out to David Tucker, who's got his first communion picture on the mantle. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I, I don't have a first communion picture. I, I, I really like to find one. 
Matt McGee has a picture of him receiving First Communion from uh, Monsignor Bult and uh, them, the two of them together at his ordination. I think that's so cool. That's super cool. Um, So uh, my niece, Kennedy Faith Harcharik, is receiving her First Communion on my birthday this year. So, all right, add a girl. There you go. All right, folks. Later. Later.